1: hey everybody welcome to another episode of after impact i'm your host tom bilyeu and i'm here with the esteemable agent smith wow mr bilyeu yeah buddy how's it going very very well to like sort of lie because it's like socially acceptable what is on my mind um i woke up in a super weird mood today about not getting enough done like fast enough and I just, I'm displeased right now with my own, um, what I'm getting out of my time. I've, I feel like I've hit some sort of critical mass where so, it's so like a bottleneck. How'd today go though? Um, today's been all right. I've been pretty efficient with my time. I'm happy about that. But I've got some big projects that um, just like there's a nest of things that all have to happen for everything to finally fit into place. So it, it doesn't have that nice systematic one, two, three, yeah. go kind of feel um and i get too many things like that and, and i get antsy the life so of, of an fear. entrepreneur life of an entrepreneur what it's there like it ladies and gentlemen indeed well today we are
0: on the show after impact and this is the show where we unpack the impact of this week's episode there it is of impact theory went to all cameras you did because no one's ever gonna see it ever
1: this. <laughs> other than if we get lucky and we hit a clip but right yeah, but even if that. it's a clip we'll edit this out That's, So almost certainly true
0: uh but not for you podcast listeners we're thinking about you this week's episode with the legendary legendary i don't use that i don't throw that word around a lot you don't you don't throw any words around a lot i don't which is good dr michio kaku the one and only. the one and only when christopher said that he was coming on the show i was like are you sure? Yeah, right. The same Michio <laughs> you. The one that I know, the, the one that's on TV all the time? Yes. That was, that's big time. It was. And people were freaking out in the comic, yeah. comments of YouTube. I'm just going to re- fire off a Let's few. Let's do it. Maj Maj says, wow, I can't believe my hero in science meets my hero in motivation. Awesome Top 5 says, holy God, I always love this guy. Great, great choice, Tom. Two greats. Uh, Tushar Punjabi says, no way, a scientist on a motivation channel. Awesome. Four exclamation points. There it is. Hagrid says, dang, I never would have expected Kaku. I bow down before your guest grabbing prowess, Tom. Wow. And I also say Dr. Finesse. I was going (laughs) to say, mad
1: shout out to Dr. Finesse. I love that I'm getting credit. But that, yeah, our boy Dr. Finesse to the rescue.
0: Yeah. And there's just a ton of them here. I want to, I want to read another comment that's going to lead into the first question. And that is... From dimension Y I N J. If I had to be honest, I think I'm having my age 15 moment.
1: Got my dream, just need to reach it. Nice. And that's a reference to the episode where he says everybody has an age 12 moment. That's right. Or an age age 10 10 moment. Right.
0: So, why do you think it is that some kids have an age 10 moment and go on to be average? And other kids have an age 10 moment and go on to be Michio Kaku.
1: Man, that's a really good question. And I thought a lot about this in the research. Like, how real is it that everybody has that, you know, age 10 moment? And like the nightmare of my life, how influential is your childhood on who you become? I don't like that. That does not sit well in my universe of thought. Mm. I like to think at any time, you can go in any direction you want, but I would be lying if I said that I didn't acknowledge that there is some overwhelming influence that our youth has on us, largely to do with what structures of the brain develop first and which ones are overly active when you're young. So like the amygdala, you come prepared with that. And it processes fear, anxiety, emotion. And that's partly why, and this is what's really interesting, is partly why being a kid is so amazing and terrifying at the same time. So because your amygdala is just overly active. It's why kids are so dramatic. Like, but you never have friends, again, like you had when you were 12, because the emotional bond that you can form is so crazy. The movies that you love when you're a kid, there's just nothing like it when you get older. Mm-hmm. It, your, your amygdala is just throbbing with emotional intensity so it makes like being a kid for some the most like amazing years of their life and you hear people talk about that oh high school was the best years of my life and then for other people where it's like childhood was a nightmare that i never (laughs) want to go back to childhood is like taking acid it can be a good trip (laughs) or a bad trip but it's going to be a strong trip no matter what and so having that moment where you're introduced to something and you have this just like outsized emotional reaction to it that plants a seed now whether you go on to be michio kaku or you go on to do nothing i'm i'm deeply intrigued by this because even though in the retelling of my own story i'll talk about how my dad made an offhanded comment and it has like this echo in my life which was that he said I was better behind the camera than in front of the camera when my friends and I would get together and film stuff. And, but like, that wasn't a big moment. That's not emotionally charged for me. That's me sort of looking back and trying to grapple with why did I sort of end up going in that way? So when I hear things like him say, you know, everyone has this age 10 moment and that's how their story starts, I'm like, I I never felt like that. My childhood isn't like some powerful, visceral thing in my life Hmm. and Because of that, I think that skews my sense. Like every theory is autobiographical. So my theory about change, my theory that adults can change and that in later in life, you can learn more than you ever learned that it's all because that's what it was for me. So my question is what makes anybody go on to get hungry for something so hard that they see it through? I don't think that it necessarily has to do with the emotional intensity. I think it has to do with, their ability to fan those flames and turn that, even when he gave examples in the episode and he said, you know, it's the first time you see the moon through a telescope or whatever. And I remember the first time I saw the moon through um, binoculars, oddly enough, with my dad in the backyard. And I thought, wow, that's really neat. But it didn't continue to have emotional resonance. So the question becomes, even though I was way into it and I was freaking out and tripped out and like it was great bonding with my dad and I loved it, I didn't fan the flames, I didn't turn it into something. Whereas filmmaking I did. And over the years, I fanned those flames and fanned those flames until it became my all-consuming identity. When I was in college, there was no difference between me and me as a filmmaker. Like, they were one and the same. And that was, I was watching seven movies a week. Like, everything in my Did you have in life.
0: a pivotal moment in when nope. you were younger with nope. film? Nope. nope. But nope. you loved film growing up. You I You loved all the action movies
1: of the 80s. 100%. Yeah. But never, like oh man, like when I hear other people talk about how film impacted them, I wasn't impacted like that until The Matrix. And I didn't see The Matrix until I was like 22. Okay. So like for me, man, like I loved movies and movies that I see now that like Goonies or something that I remember seeing in the theater or anything with Steven Seagal, which I was a freak for, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like all of that stuff was amazing and I loved it. But it doesn't echo anywhere near as intensely as The Matrix. Mm -hmm. And The Matrix echoes because I've made it. I've made it. I want to be really clear about that word. I have made it a part of my identity. I did not watch it and it just automatically became. It was like I started trying to explain to people life and I found myself leaning on the metaphor of The Matrix. And then the more I explained it and embodied it and talked about it, the more I was like, wow, I really love that movie. And you can actually, through my life, watch it, climb my list of films in the beginning wasn't even in the top 10 and then it was in the top 10 and then suddenly it was number one but like if if you had forced me every year to make a new list of films like for probably the first decade after i'd seen it it wouldn't even be it might have like after five or six years made it into the top 10 but it didn't make it into number one till well after a decade after i saw it because it just continued to like be this thing that I leaned on, and because then I was talking about it and embodying it, and then I'd rewatch it and be like, Wow, this really is great. And then it was like, Man, the more I think about it, the more like these pieces of life connect back to the matrix. And so you make it into something. So, the, to really put a fine point, the people that go on to become Michio Kaku are the ones that fan those flames. And mm-hmm. He has that insight at eight that he wants to solve Einstein's equations, but I'm guessing when he was young, it really wasn't all-consuming, but that he just kept fanning those flames in it and feeding that fire. It turns into the raging inferno of need. It's no longer a want. It's Mm -hmm. a need, and he follows it through, and that's the difference between people who do something and people who race to the middle is you fan the flames, and you take something that you want and turn it into a crushing need. That's great. And I have
0: other follow-up questions around this based on what you just said. And to bring it back to the the comment on YouTube, so first off, do you think that it's possible to have an age 10 moment at any age of your life? And the second is, can you build a life where every year is an age 10 moment? Like your entire life is an age 10 moment.
1: Definitely. Now, realistically, is it going to happen every year? Probably not. Um, But when I think about even myself and how many times I've reinvented from filmmaker to tech entrepreneur, to nutrition entrepreneur, to media entrepreneur, it's like I have unintentionally reinvented my life every seven to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you're able to bring things from the outside. Like, I'm not sure how much of this I want to reveal right now. It's the one time I'll be a little bit secretive, but not because I think someone's going to steal my ideas, but because the person or the entity that I'm going around by doing this, I don't want to hear this. Yeah. Um, but in comic books, because of my experience as um, in the social world, I, and because of my time in nutrition, I understand distribution in a way most people don't. I understand distribution of content. I understand distribution of physical goods. And because of that, I see like this really obvious way to do distribution in a totally new way. And looking at it, it's like, this is because I keep reinventing myself. So I've got all this experience from all these weird oblique angles. And I'm looking at the dominant players in the industry that we're going into. And I think, what are they doing? Like, it's, it's really weird. Once you have other perspective. Mm-hmm. So being able to reinvent yourself, A, yes, I think it can happen at any age. It certainly has for me. And I know other people that have done the same thing. And I remember reading this book where I first heard Genius is a Young Man's Game. And how they were combating that and saying, that's actually not true. And I don't remember what book I read it in. I'm, I'm very sorry. Um, so if anybody knows where this comes from, that'd be great. And they were talking about this guy that continued to, like, be nominated for Nobel Prizes into his 60s, which is, like, really unheard of Most for work he did in his 60s. Most of the time, you're in your 60s, but you're nominated for work he did in your 20s and 30s. Right. And his thing was every 10 years he forced himself to reinvent himself. And he found that like what he was learning in biology then would apply to chemistry and what he learned in chemistry would apply to physics. And like, it became like he had so many different perspectives. He was always staying fresh. He always had the mindset of a beginner and cultivating the mindset of a beginner is how you end up having those age 10 moments all through your life. I love that. What are some
0: really practical and actionable ways to cultivate the mindset of a
1: beginner? So one, you just have to cherish that right now. I think most people value themselves and their ability to be great at something, to know something. And I see this a lot and I see this in people that I love and I just want to scream at them that one, everyone thinks you're an asshole. So the like, understand this is coming from a guy who essentially talks for a living now and like gives advice for a living. But I, th- I hope what makes me interesting over time is people are going to get to watch me learn because I'm approaching everything like that, that I don't push back and argue with people that um, have criticism, whether constructive or even if they're just trying to be a dick. I'm really looking at, oh, okay, what can I take away from this? What can I learn? How can I improve myself? How can I get better? Um, Because I know that that expertise is a trap. It is Mm. like falling into expertise and the glory that is like, knowing something and I know how good that feels and it feels just as good to me as it does to anybody else. But like, I want to be effective and the difference between knowing something and being effective is massive. Mm-hmm. And you put your, your value as a human being into one or the other. And I do not put mine into knowing something. So if somebody were to come after me and go, you don't know shit, I'd be like, Oh, okay, cool. In what way, please. Like, I want to see that because like as aggressive as they're being towards me to try to tear me down, I'm being equally aggressive back by being open to their feedback. Cause I'm going to fuck them up on a long timeline by bearing them with results because all I care about is effectiveness. Mm -hmm. I just want to be effective. And so you're trying to damage me over here with criticism, not realizing you're making me stronger because I've developed my ego and my self-esteem around something that's anti-fragile, which is being willing to look at how that person really is right. Um, And I think that's, that's really important. So you're going to value yourself to get to your, the takeaways value yourself on your ability to, Um, Be open to how you're wrong instead of how you're right. Always be looking for new information and new perspectives. Hunger for your mistakes and your foibles because in that is you're seeing weaknesses in your current thinking and your current ability to execute. And it's it's addressing those weaknesses that's going to make you more powerful. So those are three like really basic things. And then the fourth and maybe the most powerful is always be learning like you just need to learn like you you've got to get really exceptional at learning at teaching yourself at knowing how to start knowing nothing and encountering this wall of information and not even even knowing what thread to pull and like figuring out how to first learn the glossary of terms so that you can read something and not be totally confused and like how to read in swarms and not just from one person like there are are real tactics to that stuff and if you're doing that if you're doing those four things you're gonna win awesome this episode is a lot
0: about optimism uh, for the future. And in part, you know, that derives from Michio Kaku's perspective of like really, um, stepping back and seeing things, uh, longer than sort of a decade timeline Mm -hmm. and to really see the change that's happened over the last hundred years, 200, 300 years. So I want to ask you like, how important is it for you in your life or how much do you think about really getting perspective on things?
1: It's not where i thought you were going um perspective i think is really really critical and one thing that i'm really harping on right now in content which by the way i just recorded something on my alexa content so about this very thing which by the way if you have an alexa make sure you add that tom bilyeu skill
0: and if you do have an alexa it's probably
1: going off right now if you're listening to this that uh, is very true sorry yeah sorry for messing you guys <laughs> up um it, it it's all around really wanting people a- ask me the question again i won't vamp to try to like find my place again it, i just H- talked about this in the last. how so... important is it for you to get perspective, perspective. Yes. for the record i got back there you did so that's me practicing um so perspective is really important i want people to understand you're experiencing life essentially through a funhouse mirror And people mistake this funhouse mirror reflection for reality. And oftentimes this funhouse mirror reflection makes you feel badly about yourself. You think other people are doing better than you, whatever. And I'm really failing and I'm not smart enough, whatever. That's your brain. Your brain is painting a version of the world that you're mistaking for reality. And oftentimes I'll give the example of where the optic nerve connects to the eye and Isaac Lidsky go watch his episode. Um, where he talks about how losing his vision slowly in stages really made him understand that vision is a construct. It is totally fake. And that he was once washing his hands in a urinal because his brain told him, this is a sink. He said, I didn't think it was a sink. I knew it was a sink. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, my, my, I saw it for what it really was and realized, whoa, I'm in a urinal. So." He said that difference between thinking and knowing, like your brain presents everything as if it's certain and it's really not. So um, that's the old example that I used to give. Now I want to start giving a new example, which is there's this thing called the deep limbic system. The deep limbic system processes emotions and its job is to color what's happening as either good or bad. Mm. And there's an awesome Shakespeare quote. There's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And that thinking that he's talking about is the deep limbic system. And you can actually inflame it. And when the deep limbic system gets inflamed, then it will report everything as negative. So if you've ever had a conversation with somebody and you say something like, oh, my God, you look so good today. And they respond, like you said, you look like shit yesterday. And you're like, whoa, 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 that's not what I said. That's the deep limbic system. It's coloring their perception of what you're saying negatively. Now, my thesis is that is your entire life everything that you experience from whether cold is painful or just another sensation to whether a warm shower is pleasant or just another sensation whether time with a loved one is aggravating or deeply pleasant whether somebody cutting in front of line is worthy of freaking out or it's a non-entity all of that is your perspective which is built around your brain at a biological a biomechanical standpoint there's something going on and then your belief system which this is actually the chapter i'm writing in the book right now talking about how You've got all these invisible beliefs that make up your perspective. And until you question those, you you don't understand that you are locked inside of a box of the way that you think about the world. Like just the way that you think about it and how it is. And it isn't actually that way. That is just your perception. So deciding what you want your perspective to be and then constructing it so that data effortlessly goes through that filter is one of the most important things you can ever do, and it is exactly what people mean when they say mindset is everything. Love that. First
0: off, it reminds me of the uh, David Foster Wallace essay, This This is Water. water. I hope you referenced that in the chapter. I did, of course. Great.
1: Um, And I just want to take a second to acknowledge that you were the one that brought that into my life. Thank you so much. Only because
0: I saw so so many parallels to the way that you thought and the way that that he, he thinks in that essay.
1: And it makes me sad that he killed himself. I know, me too. I mean, how can the guy that wrote This Is Water not get that his depression was the water? I know. I don't mean, know, that makes it's me really so
0: sad. sad. It's really sad. He was brilliant. Um, the other thing I was going to say, if I can bring it back. Uh, I messed you up. It was, uh, no, I lost it. God. All right, we'll come back to it. Fair enough. Let's go on to the marshmallow test. Let's do it. Wait, I remembered it fire away. Do you think it's possible to switch your default setting into always being optimistic or will it always need to be this sort of active process that you go through? Because you
1: just default, you're going to fear things, you know, be stressed out, whatever. I think the, the mental jujitsu or the mental pachinko machine, as I like to think of it, um, you can get so good at that, that it becomes second nature <laughs> and that the, the negative um, emotional response will become a habit loop trigger for positive thinking. And you can get really good at that so that it happens really, really fast. Um, It has been my experience that you never get rid of the emotional reaction. It diminishes dramatically. Mm -hmm. When I think about how much things used to hurt me, like when somebody would say something negative or I'd realize I was wrong or I'd embarrass myself. Dude, it would throw me off for days, days. I would sleep. I mean, it was a real problem. And so now it's like, it gets to the point where most of the time, not every time, but most of the time it doesn't even cross my face and people don't realize like, whoa, that really stung or man, I'm super embarrassed. But because it happens so fast and then I get back into, oh, but you're going to learn something from this. And like, how can we flip this? How is this the best thing that ever happened? Like that happens so rapidly in my mind because I've trained myself over and over and over and over and over and over and over for almost 20 years now to do that. Um, So people will get to that point, but I don't think it's about silencing the negative critic. I don't think it's about not having the emotion. I think it's about making them usable. Yeah, I love that.
0: And for me, at least, when you're able to switch something negative into positive and not let it bother you anymore,
1: it feels so good. Um, It feels amazing. Yeah, And that's what I'm talking about, building your self-esteem around that. Because one, every time you're going to get that, like, this feels really good just naturally. Mm -hmm. And then two, once that also you get to be proud of because oh that's my entire identity and most people can't do this and most people like become slave to the emotion then it's like that double whammy of oh wow this feels good that i flipped it and this is my identity i lived up to who i said i was going to be and so then that feels doubly good definitely
0: all right back to the marshmallow test this is something you talk about all the time so it was really cool to hear michio bring that up in the interview um, can you give a quick recap just for people who may not be familiar with the marshmallow? Test?
1: Absolutely. This is the famous Stanford marshmallow experiments. One of the, the most interesting studies ever. And one of the most, uh, long range where they followed these people for decades afterwards. Crazy. So they brought in these young kids. I forget how seven or eight or something like that and kids come into the room with a researcher in a white lab coat, and they say, hey, here's a marshmallow. Uh, I'm going to step out of the room for a minute. When I come back, if you wait to eat the marshmallow until I come back, I'm going to give you a second marshmallow, and what the kids don't know is they're going to be gone for a very long time because they just want to see how long the kids can wait, and so they leave, and some kids literally eat the marshmallow before they get out the door, and other kids will like, lick the underside, bite the underside and try to put it back so you can't tell. Other kids will get up and walk around the room, explore. They'll sing. They'll put their head down. They'll do all kinds of things, strategies to delay eating that marshmallow. And then they track these kids for north of 25 years and they see who ends up getting the best grades in high school, who ends up getting into the best colleges, who does the best in college, who gets the best jobs, highest paying jobs, who has the best relationships. On like all of these crazy metrics, every one of them success was correlated directly to how long they waited to eat the marshmallow. So like valedictorians waited the longest. I mean, it just like over and over and over. Highest paid people could wait the longest. They had the best Mm. strategies, relationship success, everything just – how long could you wait to eat the marshmallow and it comes down to can you delay gratification because when you think about one of the things that separates humans from other animals is this concept of the future which michio kaku talked about yeah. he said go try to teach your dog the concept of the to future of tomorrow yeah and he's like good luck and that's where humans really shine is they can say oh, i do want this marshmallow but i want something in the future even more and so i'm not going to do this thing and when i think about what makes anyone successful at anything whether you're Michael Jordan or you're Warren Buffett, it's having the discipline to put off that gratification right now to have the butt power as Michio Kaku talked about to sit in the seat and think about the problem and find a solution until blood is coming out of your forehead.
0: Yes. And the marshmallow test is interesting because they test the kids pretty young, right? Yeah. I think they are seven or eight, something like that. So it suggests that, we're kind of born with a certain level of ability to delay gratification, right? But as we know, you can build that muscle. So what are some ways that you
1: would work on building that muscle? The most important one, honestly, is just, do you want what's on the other side? Do you want that second marshmallow? Once you really want the second marshmallow, then it gets a lot easier to build those traits. And the one thing that I'll say that's universal that everyone can want is to be someone that you're proud of. So to, to value having that kind of grit and determination, the ability to delay, um, if you value that and you want to be proud of yourself for saying, hey, I'm going to develop this and then you go out and develop it, then it becomes a lot easier to develop. If you don't actually value it and you don't really care, then good luck. Like It really is going to be hard. And mm-hmm. identity really does drive behavior in this sense. Um, so that's number one. And then number two, like do little things that constantly force you to delay gratification. And I'll give you a very simple one. So I like to meditate because meditation in the beginning, it was actually quite hard for me to do more than for a couple of minutes. And so you just start pushing and pushing and pushing it. And then as I got better and started really getting the benefits, I, I realized, whoa, like I'm having to stop myself at 20 or 30 minutes because I need to go get something done. And then the other one is, When I'm fasting, for instance, and you've witnessed this this firsthand, when I'm fasting, I like to be around people that are cooking food. I want to smell food. I want to see them eating crazy stuff. And because I want to show myself that I can be around it and not do it. Mm -hmm. And so testing yourself. So most people will say, oh, I can't have snack foods in the house. And if you really can't, I think that's a brilliant strategy to just not have it in the house but hopefully there will come a time where you can use that as a way to like strengthen your resolve to not eat something Mm -hmm. to have it. And to say like, buy it. Like if you, you're really bad at this and you know, like, let's say Saturday is your cheat day. Okay. Well buy it on Friday. And can I not eat it on Friday and wait till Saturday? If you're winning at that, buy it on Thursday. Mm -hmm. If you're winning at that, buy it on Wednesday. And all of a sudden you realize, Oh, I can buy it whenever I want. I know that Saturday is my day, bright line. I'm not going to touch until Saturday, period, end of story, part of my identity. Like I am not eating these things until Saturday under any circumstance. So doing things like that will strengthen that resolve. Love it. Um, I really liked how he also
0: mentioned within the marshmallow test that the studies that they did with people who were coming from lower income uh, neighborhoods, you know, underserved populations, uh, didn't have that delayed gratification, but for different reasons, like they, because when, uh, things came, you know, resources or whatever became available, you just took it because you didn't know when it was going to be available again. What did you think about that?
1: That was pretty interesting. He's talking about a scarcity mindset. Yeah. Talking about pessimism versus optimism. And, It's perspective, right? Going back Mm -hmm. to your earlier question. So you've got all these invisible beliefs that resources are scarce, that when something appears, it disappears. Like those, those are beliefs. So it doesn't have to be that way. You can go out and figure out a way to make that resource more abundant. I'm not saying it's easy and I am in no way, shape or form belittling poverty. And I get it when you're a kid. That really is the truth. But once you take it as that is the way the world is, just is, there is no way to escape this. Then all of a sudden you have people who... It, it is, it's called learned helplessness. Yeah. And you get the dogs that just accept that they're being shocked, even though they could step like two feet forward and not get shocked, but they don't even try. So that's, that's the real danger of perception is for it to be invisible and you not to realize, oh no, 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 these are choice. I've chosen to believe that resources are scarce and I have not chosen to believe that I can do something about it. And when you meet someone like Brian Johnson, for instance, who grew up in an impoverished household and- ended up selling his company for 800 million dollars this is a guy who started with nothing his mom used to have to make his own clothes he had to start his first businesses with no money like all of this stuff is possible but only if you believe it's possible yeah let's talk
0: about butt power some more let's do it <laughs> that was a it was a funny term that uh michio had coined but it's i think it very much relates to delayed gratification but it's also more in the idea that you can it's that deep work that Cal Newport calls. Like you can just sit down, you can work on something, you can just focus on it with uh, extended attention to try and find the answer. How do you build that muscle? Does that all come down
1: to identity again? It is identity is a huge driver, but it's the same thing as buying your Oreos on a Monday and not eating them until a Saturday. Mm. You've just got to practice. Like you, you've got to sit down and say, I'm going to work this long and, if, if you start out at 15 minutes, great, do your 15 minutes. But then 15 should turn into 20, 30, an hour, two hours. Um, and you should get a lot better at doing that. Ultimately, working your way up to where you know about yourself that you're going to do what it takes. So, for instance, if I've been working for two hours and I'm like, I need a break, I'm, I know me. I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to finish the task. And so there's no like unease about, oh, am I just going to go waste a bunch of time? It's like I've earned that credibility with myself. So that is really the ultimate goal so that you're not having to set things like i'm going to work for this amount of time it's like i know i'm going to work until i'm not productive anymore and i'm not going to bullshit myself and say oh i'm just not being productive and i'm going to go like play for six hours um that's really where you want to get to but you can just like you can start buying your oreos on friday and then thursday wednesday tuesday monday um you can do that same thing with just pushing the envelope of how long you're able to sit and focus sure have you ever done um what's that drug kids do today that's adderall? like adderall i have not neither have i i'm uh, yeah i'm intrigued i think it's <laughs> better i'm t- a total wuss, so i don't do drugs yeah but like i mean it's prescription but yeah you can still, you can drug. build that up yeah. So, yeah um or you could just take adderall <laughs> or you could just that was my punchline yeah. right but i'm not saying you should we're, we're, we're Nobody's nobody's condoning that
0: um I loved his analogy of how physicists are like composers in that the work they do is both highly conceptual and very creative, and they sort of sit in their head and put together these arrangements. Um, wh- I want to hear what you thought about that, and then also how does that relate to how you think about entrepreneurship and the work that you do? I know every morning when you're mm-hmm. um when you're working on the big problems of the
1: business. It. I really loved it when he said that. And again, this goes back to earning credibility with yourself. You have to know that when you're sitting there staring out the window that you're actually like thinking through the problem and figuring out like what your process is. So like for me, I like to be able to take notes that really locks me into the problem I'm trying to solve. So even though of the time that I spend working on that problem, I probably spend 90% of my time thinking and only 10% of my time writing notes. Mm. But having that anchor of that note and knowing that when I have a thought that I can write it down and as I'm writing it down, it's really interesting. It slows your brain down enough because you have to like put it into the physical like words, you have to type it out, um, that by ratcheting my brain down to the speed that I can type at, I find that like some part of my brain then cycles through the problem over here while I'm writing it out here, and so that is, I don't know, it's really, really been useful for me. Um, I also, though, find and don't judge, but I find that long showers is really impactful. And I say don't judge because we're in LA, and yeah. like I'm the reason we have water, <laughs> water shortage. Um, but that is, it I, really it puts me in that alpha wave state, the same state that you get in when you're meditating, um, and so I find that that's really, really powerful. Um, so he's absolutely right about that. I've never thought of myself as a composer because I don't have the chunks of math like that he's yeah. dealing with. Um, but I definitely get what he's saying where you've got these ideas that are sort of nebulous and you want to see how they like fit together and click into place. Um, and and that's interesting. And one of the things that I find will happen is I'll have an idea and I'll have to think about does this fit into my worldview or does it change my worldview? Which is always pretty interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Um, one of the things Michio says is I would
0: rather work on one big problem and fail than work on a bunch of little problems and
1: succeed. I'm guessing you feel similarly. I'm not sure about about that. that. Really? Um, I would be really um, disappointed to have spent my whole life working on one big thing and not have accomplished it. Now, Keep in mind, that's coming from a guy who's done some pretty extraordinary things, not the least of which is just write books and stuff like that. So he's saying in in one area of his life, there is this really big problem that he's trying to tackle. So I feel like that. So if you'll let me frame him as a guy who does a bunch of little things, but also the mission of his life is grand. Mm. I feel the same there. So the mission of my life is grand to pull people out of the matrix, to get people who are antagonistic to change and an empowering belief system to get them to adopt it and to have generational consequences where they then – unintentionally even teach it to their kids because it's just their default view of the world. Um, so that's huge. Am I gonna do it? Who knows, we'll see. But like, if I never put content out or I never created a comic or we never did a TV show or never made a movie, I would be mortified. And, and I would, I don't think a lot about my deathbed, but if I were on my deathbed and didn't do any of those things, I'd be like, yeah, I messed up. Fair enough. Uh, last couple of questions here. Michio
0: said that he would rather make so the he's trying to figure out uh, Einstein's theory of everything. That's his life's mission. He would rather make that discovery himself than have some sort of uh, the aliens, super intelligent yeah. alien come and just give it to him. Right? Um, I'm sure that resonated with you. Why is this such an important? Point that he's making and how does it relate to building long-lasting
1: happiness well I'm gonna break it into two things so one long-lasting happiness which I'll call fulfillment is born of suffering it's born of doing the hard things it's born of not eating the bowl of ice cream it's born of going and lifting the weights running and doing the exercise butt power sitting there and doing the work right it's you're doing something that's hard that has meaning and purpose and that's where the fulfillment literally comes from so you've got to be doing those hard things um, to, to get that. But then the other side, give me exactly how you phrase the question again.
0: Just kind of why him saying that is such an important point that (laughs) people really need to hold on to. That was it. And then I asked about him saying, him saying what,
1: him saying that he would rather make the discovery. Oh, right, right, right. The aliens and not giving the answer. Um, so if something that the second part of this is if something has extreme utility, I'm actually okay with it just being given to me because the point is the utility. The point is putting it to use. So for instance, take wealth. A lot of people are like, I'm not giving my kids anything. I get it. I get it. I know why they want to do that. They want to force their kids to figure it out. But the reality is I spent, I'll, I'll just call it a cool decade. I spent an entire decade of my life mistakenly chasing money. Now that I have money, I'm actually able to execute at a way higher level than I would be able to. So I both needed the, the journey. I needed the lessons for sure mm-hmm. to clarify my thinking and all of that and to learn to be an entrepreneur. I totally get it. But like, if the punchline of all of that was I never made money, then I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now. So like, money is real utility. Mm-hmm. So now I'm a big believer that I wouldn't have wanted to win my money. Um, and that's a real thing for me. I don't play the lottery, anything like that. My mother-in-law gives me lottery tickets every Christmas. She stopped now because I said in content that um, I don't want to win it. And, but I'm conflicted because it has real utility. So if somebody were to go, hey, Tom, uh, do you want a trillion dollars? To say no is to say that I care more about earning this thing and taking the pride in having earned that than I do in building something with it. Mm. So if somebody came and offered me a trillion dollars, I would be deeply sad to not have earned that money, but because I really believe in my mission, it would be counter to my mission to not take it. So I would ultimately take it, even though it would, it would be such like a missed opportunity um, to have earned that. How do you get over the problem that if the
0: parents give the kids money and let's say, then they're like, great, now I can just chill the rest of my life. They never learn the things that they need to learn and they never do anything.
1: Thank you for explaining why I'm not a parent. so it it uh was it aristotle i think that said the only impossible job is raising children so i have no idea how to do that i don't know how to reconcile that the so the only thing across every species that it has ever been tested on that that elongates life expectancy is caloric restriction so any species yeast mold um dogs chimpanzees if you restrict their calories, you will elongate their life every time, every single species. Now, the only reason I didn't include humans is no one will do the test, it's unethical, Mm. because it creates like this misery state. So that's how I feel about the only thing I've ever seen work on every human being that's ever become great is hardship. They all have hardship. At some point, they had to go through something brutally difficult. And in figuring that out and solving that puzzle, then they're able to do something extraordinary. I can't reconcile that with not wanting to make somebody I love and care about suffer. So inevitably, like to really become great on the other side, they're gonna have to suffer. I just don't, I am not good at that. Yeah. Like it's a real weakness for me. That's a good answer though, I like it.
0: Yeah, it's truthful nothing else. A truthful answer. All right, last question. Um, there's so much in this episode. Uh, where is this question? In my list of questions. It's somewhere around here. It's easy to look at Dr. Kaku and just say he's a genius, obviously. Yep. Um, I could never do that.
1: What What should people really take away from this interview above all else? Wow. If you're the, there's really, um, how are you going to make me pick one? I hate it when people like you ask them for one thing and they give you a bunch. I so a I'll bite. say. I want a sound bite butt power. That's the one thing to really take away from this. He puts in the work. Mm-hmm. And so even though he's super intelligent, he puts in the work and anybody that wants to learn something from him is put in the work. That's your soundbite. Now I'm going to give you something else, which is we all have a decision to make about whether or not we live in a friendly or a hostile universe. And the fact that his brother was born in a um, internment camp and that is Family lost everything and were put in an internment camp for years and came out the other side and said, it's done, move forward. He's a guy that clearly has decided to be optimistic, that he lives in a friendly universe. And it was Einstein that said, that's the most important decision. He used the word decision. That's the most important decision anyone will ever make is whether or not they believe that they live in a friendly or hostile universe. And so do good things happen? Will my energy and efforts be rewarded? And when you're answering yes to those questions, then you'll take that step. Then you'll put in the effort. Then you'll do the butt work. And so that's like, that's the the real key. You you really do need those two things together. You need to believe that your efforts will be rewarded with knowledge, experience, um, improved abilities, and then you need to do the work. Love it. Let's wrap it up there. There it is. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. As always a pleasure, if this is adding value, please do share it. If you're listening just to the podcast, please go to, um, Apple podcast, leave a review. I don't know if you still have to go to iTunes to do that. Um, but go leave a review on this. It helps more than you think. So also
0: one quick, uh, plug sign up for the newsletter. some really good content in there
1: did you read today's newsletter i haven't read it yet i'm looking forward to it. i'm super curious to see if this one plays guys i'm dragging you into like advanced class shit with the newsletter i'm really interested to see if people understand the nuance of this one because this is one where people are going to go wait you're pulling a 180 on your whole belief system and i'm not so if they can understand how this is completely congruent with the way that i think and that i'm trying to take them below or beyond far deeper than what you can put in an instagram photo (laughs) like i really that's going to be my positioning i'm the guy that's going to give you the real things you need to do to go execute so this newsletter is is my attempt at like really taking people to, to the real issue and to
0: get beyond the soundbite. So if you want to go deep, sign up for that newsletter. It's the only place where you can get that content.
1: Absolutely true. All right, guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.